Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today on Trailblazers, we're joined by a surfing champion who grew up at Kalbara Beach, south of Sydney, and a family passionate about the sport. After winning her first championship tour event at the age of 14, she would go on to be the WSL Women's World Champion in consecutive years. Her career has not been without significant hurdles, though, and she's taken time out today to share her story. Today's Trailblazer is Tyler Wright. I got the eye of the today on Trailblazers. It's so good to see you. You had this perfect start to the 2021 season. Mm. That was back in December. It seems like eons ago now. Tell us where you are now physically and mentally. Yeah, so we we started the tour back in early December. We had kind of a tumultuous, traumatic first event and eventually we our event ran at Pipeline, which is the first ever females event there and I was able to win that and since that I've come home and we've started the Australian leg, which is, is four events, uh, Newcastle, Narrabeen, and two in WA. So one in Margaret River and one in Rottnest Island. And then here we are. <laughs> and we're lucky to catch you between the Narrabeen event and heading off to Western Australia. Uh, how have you felt uh, back in the water in Australia? I've been good. I've actually been a little bit sick, unfortunately, and I, I've had a fractured ankle. <laughs> so I did that about a month ago, which isn't ideal. But it's it's all part of it. It's, you know, I think frustrating for me just because there's been certain things that I'm ready to do but I have not been able to physically do just on a performance standpoint. So that's been frustrating. But otherwise, look, I'm very used to dealing with the ups and the roller coaster of life and that's just is what it is. Uh, how did you hit your ankle? <laughs> I was surfing, yeah. um, obviously. <laughs> Funnily enough. <laughs> Funnily, uh, surfing, which is I think people are all – Always a bit surprised by that. But, yeah, just fractured it and, yeah, did a few other things to it. But, look, mostly it's it's been – I was back in the water two weeks later. So, look, that's not ideal, obviously. It's a it's a 12-week injury. Uh, we're probably coming up on maybe six weeks now. But, yeah, I didn't really pay too much attention to the, the usual uh, <laughs> time frames. That sounds like you down to a T. Yep. Uh, now, you celebrated your 27th birthday recently. Happy birthday. Thank you. And I feel like when I look at your story, you've packed a lifetime of experiences into a, a short 27 years. Cast your mind back to your first memory of surfing. What mm. is it? I think it's just at home uh, with my siblings and, yeah, just running out the front of our house and... It's kind of wild, yeah, it's been a long journey since then, or a lot's happened to, to, 
between now and then. And yeah, I think that's mostly it was just like something fun that we all did. And Well, of course, because you grew up in that family that, that everybody just surfed. You're always going to be a surfer. Did mm. you realise early on that you were going to be this surfing prodigy? I think I think surfing named me as <laughs> it's a, as its chosen one sort of thing. <laughs> I don't know if it's too happy with its choice now that I've come back and I'm a mature young female or someone who's actively trying to, you know, take a role in changing the sport. So I think, yeah, it chose me a little bit, but now it's kind of stuck with me and, you know, I'm in a position where I can actually have a bit of an influence on what I actually want from it and the certain environment and culture that I'd love for it to perpetuate. So, yeah, it's kind of, you know, we've always had a bit of an up and down relationship, but (laughs) now it seems a little bit more straightforward because I think I get a bit more of a choice in it. Yeah, well, it's been really fascinating and I've got so much admiration for the things you're doing on that social justice level. We'll talk about that mm. in a moment. But if you were to think back on those childhood years, you know, just with your siblings in the surf, mm. uh, mum and dad, all that sort of thing, did it seem like a, a, a simpler life then? Surfing's a lifestyle, right? Yeah, it's very much a lifestyle. It's kind of, I think that's why it's always a little bit confusing because for me, it's always been a little bit of a job of a career like it was very much named so from a very young age where you know I didn't really get to to say that that's what I wanted to do it was kind of like this is what you're going to do kind of thing and you know when you're that freakishly talented and yeah I was a child star child prodigy Mm. it was simpler but also like now I look back and I can kind of like identify and articulate the feelings that I felt at the time and was very much under pressure there and that was from a young age and I just think that as much as it was simple, it was always, I think, my father's plan <laughs> that I would be here and, and do what I do today. Well, you had a, a sponsor by, was it eight years old? Yeah, eight. Uh, who, yeah. <laughs> who spotted you back then? I think it was one of the Rip Curl team managers at the time and my brother was already on Rip Curl. Yeah, it just kind of eight years old, got stickers and two of my favourite surfers were rode for Rip Curl as well. So... Jesse Marley Dyer, who is now the SVP, mm. so the Senior Vice President of Tours and Competition, and so essentially she runs the show. She's an absolute queen and boss woman um, and, and mentor to me now and always has been. She actually gave me my first Rip Curl stickers. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty wild what, you know, it's probably closer to 20 years now and how things can change. Does that stick in your head when you get little girls coming up to you on the beach? Yeah, I think now... Look, I consider myself a young woman in training still, like very much learning, taking it all in, kind of soaking up as much as I can from every, everyone and everything that I see and I think has got value for me. So when, I think when I was younger, I was really overwhelmed by it, very much an anxiety kid, didn't know how to particularly embrace it and, and kind of see myself as that either because I think when you're just a young kid you're just like I don't know like Mm. I don't know I don't want people to do what I do because I've struggled so much so now I think it's I take it a little bit more as an opportunity and and just something that I really embrace as I've gotten older and definitely remember the the women that have had influence on me and the standard that they've set. What is that like as, say, a 14-year-old? You've already started to make money on the tour. You've already been mm. recognised. You're already winning events. Mm, yeah. You're still a kid at high school, mm. in the early years of high school. Yeah, very H- how do you cope with that? Is it just so surreal or just part of your life? So you just keep one well, day at I a time? Well, I think it was, it was in many ways normalised for me, Like, which is I, I now looking back, I would be like, 
I was completely overwhelmed. I was already showing signs of withdrawal from social settings, like, you know, and then I was ripped out of my community and, and taken to a different community and stuff like that. So I think when you're that young, and that's probably why I speak on it a little bit more now, is nurturing the social, nurturing the child and the human in the child, because the athlete will always kind of, you know, blossom. It's, it's one of those things where if the child's driven, it's not going to take too much for that to really kind of take effect and the child end up where they need to end up. But now, yeah, I would say, like, I would always recommend having a really good emotionally, psychologically and mental health aware space that kind of nurtures the human in, in all children as they should be. But, it, you know, when children are specifically talented at one thing, it's really easy for that to become their life. And it's not. Mm. So I think it's always really important to be like, as much as an athlete and all young athletes are athletes, you know, it's only a small portion of their life. Yeah. And most of the time it's short. And and to be really aware of how do you s- implement a really good support structure, I think that's a really important conversation to be had around that from young ages. So that uh, upheaval you mentioned, was that when Dad moved the whole family to Lennox Head? Yeah, yeah. And that was for the surfing environment. Was that yeah. for you or for you and Owen and Mikey? Yeah, it was kind of like I think he led that he wanted to go to more warmer water and then but it was very much you know that's where the surfing community was based out of that's where like at the time there was a lot of influence in that area whereas for me now I very much go that has no relevance Mm. I'm you know being in that spotlight at such a young age it has no relevance to me or to anyone's career so yeah like that's that was kind of more that upheaval and you know you're 14 years old and you you got good friends you're going to a good school you know, and then you go to a place where everyone knows who you are already and you can't actually be, you know, Tyler, just a kid. You're Tyler Wright, the next world champion. Were you a good student at school? Because uh, you and I connected, it must be a few weeks ago now, yeah. at a UNSW event. You've gone back to academia. Is that, yeah. is that something you always enjoyed? Yeah, I wanted to stay in school. So when I was pulled out um, to do distance education, I asked to go back in to normal school because I was like, I really, and repeat a year and I was like 16 and they're like no you already have a full-time job I was like oh okay fair wow. enough like that was <laughs> it was just that blunt but yeah so like as we connected at UNSW I've started that journey I've actually had to put it on pause again just because which it makes me kind of deeply frustrated but also I understand the the stress and the work requirements that my job requires and in a, a year where things aren't as set as they usually would be means that I have my workloads increased so I've had to kind of put it on pause again, but it's something that I will pursue, you know, whether it's now, whether it's when I retire, but it's always learning is a huge part of my life. I have a curious mind. I'm always reading. I'm always listening and, and watching and I've always been really observant. Yeah, that's why I think having good mentors around as well on the tour mm. at the moment has been incredibly beneficial to me as as a human being. Um, and so, yeah, learning and academia is like such a huge part of my life. Um, and something that's probably neglected, you know, through those early, early years where I was probably always interested in a lot of different things. But, you know, I'm kind of like the jock athlete that you should just be good at sports. <laughs> so, yeah. What are you studying? You know, it was originally because I left so young, it was just to try and bridge. It was just a bridging course. But I would have loved to have gone into science and psychology and then major in neuroscience. Um, I hope to do that when I retire but I've always had a keen interest in the in the brain, purely because of circumstances. But 
yeah, I think there's just so much we can learn from it and just, you know, psychology as well. I think everyone should have a psych. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you think perhaps those experiences you mentioned, uh, which we will touch on, that probably puts you in a better position now to understand the course content, right? Yeah, I look, I wouldn't ever assume that. I, you know, (laughs) I'm very much, I have weekly sessions with my psych and I'm always asking him. I'm always questioning things because I don't understand them. Because I'm like, why? You know, there's just certain things in my brain. I'm like, I don't understand that. Why does why is things this way? Or, and then uh, obviously there's been a whole bunch of medical history in my family, which is, you know, it it, you know, understanding the brain and and what it does has been an, a huge important factor in that as well. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Surfing world champion Tyler Wright and Tyler, you weren't just the youngest to win a world tour event at 14 year old at 16. You were the youngest in history to qualify for the WSL Championship Tour. Who could you turn to to talk about that? No one really. I didn't really speak. <laughs> I really, really struggled to articulate how I was feeling and what was going on with me at the time. So I feel like everyone was like assumed that this was what I wanted to do. So I was constantly at battle with the expectation of this is just what I was meant to do and and really wanting to, at the time, go back to school or go mm. and play soccer or, or just be a real uh, kid. But I, And I know that this job has allowed me many, many privileges, but it's, I think, yeah, at that time I didn't speak. So, and that was one of the big things. And I think as well, like when you're on tour from, you know, 15 or 14, I think it was, you're isolated 10 months of the year. Mm. So you're not really around social circles or... When you're always around older people, and which is good and, and, and not so good. So turning to someone, you know, I think I had people watching me. That was probably, I was lucky, you know. I had, mm. you know, a few people like Jessie Miley Dyer. She was really concerned about me at that young age. Mm-hmm. And she was competing on the tour. And now she's like one of my best mates and, you know, mentor and, and someone that has really set a standard for me in both education and she has a master's degree in communication and business. And then there's a few other people that have done that, but also, yeah, I've just had a few people that have really kind of looked out for me. And, and now I, I probably take more of an active role in going and engaging with the next generation and, and setting a standard that I would like to see the next generation do and how they give back as well. And the way it ran in your family, I mean, at that same period of time you spoke about uh, your brother Owen was Rookie of the Year. Dad was, of course, not just dad, but he was your coach as well. Mm. Uh, does that just make it all consuming at, yeah. at that age? You know, I think at the time I would have said no. Um, but when you, you start to, I think it was really insulated, mm. you know, and that's something I don't agree with either, like, and probably have absolutely loved as I've gotten older, to have a lot more choice in my life and my career and my interests. Yeah, when you're in that sort of insulated environment, you kind of just hearing and seeing the same things. And you also kind of get to a point where you just kind of accept this is the way things are and, and you don't really see another way. So you're just like, okay, this is what it is. And it's only in time and kind of, I wouldn't say rebellion, but kind of pushing back, you know, from, I was pretty young, I guess I was 17 when I started pushing back, but it's it's such an interesting balance and it also it's very simple but also a little bit complicated because, you know, when you want a, a father or a dad or, you know, you've got a manager or a coach who, who, who doesn't like to step out of that role. So I think that's where, you know, when I'm speaking about it, I'll speak quite openly because I'm like, hey, if you're a dad, be a dad. 
Don't mm. be a coach. Don't be, I don't care what experience you have. Just don't do it. You'll fry your relationship. I know so many athletes who have fried relationships mm. that take years and years to rebuild because there's, you know, an overinvestment into one aspect of your child's life. And what if your kid turns around and goes, I don't want to do that anymore? Then, you know, your response is if, you know, which I've had is like, oh, well, you're wasting your life. You know, what are you even doing here? Then? So things like that, I think are really important for the like parents. Like I, my parents did the absolute best they could with the information that they had at hand. They're yeah. incredible. Um, they had three kids who are all amazing at one sport. Like <laughs> they're not meant to know what to do, but I think they came up in a generation where they felt like they had to know and, and really took that responsibility on where I now today, I'm like, Hey, if you don't know, just ask, like ask for help, show your kid help seeking behaviors because your kid's going to need help one day. Mm. And that sort of behavior is going to be really good. And how about having a sibling that didn't get into the surfing world? Yeah. Well, she's like, it's kind of weird because she's like excels in what she does and um, is absolutely incredible and one of those humans that are incredibly grounded. And it's funny because even today, like, you know, I watch her surf and she's had a history of injuries as well. So, you know, she's out because now she, she, she can't come back in, but you know, the occasion that I see her surf, she still would be ranked within probably between definitely 15 and 7 in the world. Um, she'd probably break 7, you know, on, on major years for her, you know, and that's with me just like plotting and planning. And if like <laughs> if she was healthy and, and, and wanted to do it and had the year, I'd be like, all right, this is the coach you're going to get. This is the psych. This is the team. This is your body team. This is your performance team. This is your training team. Like, I just nerd out on that stuff because I'm like, yeah, we could take you from here all the way over there. Give us like 18 months. We'll get it done. And me and her husband and her boss are always going on about how funny it would be because um, she's that talented. And, you know, I think it's created a really great perspective for me. And, yeah, it feels like I, I get to see a lot of different intersections in life mm. with the position that I'm in. And, yeah, I watch a lot and observe a lot. And it's very interesting. Mm. Uh, Kirby actually played a little bit of a, a mentoring slash managing role for you at one point. Yeah. When I was 17 or 16, 17, because I wasn't allowed to do the tour by myself, she chaperoned. I had to have right. someone of 18. <laughs> so 17 and a 19-year-old. You can imagine how well we were. But, yeah, she definitely did that. And, like, without her and, and there was another, Brooke Farris was, like, the Rip Curl representative at the time that did it, who now is the GM of women's at Rip Curl, like, one of the mm-hmm. few female executives there so she's always they've always kind of been involved and yeah again like having someone who's as brutally honest as Kirby who's like nah you sucked um <laughs> I was like yeah I did that I dropped the ball and she's like well this and that like and um yeah it was it was a really good thing at the time and I think yeah as I got older and we both kind of established our own careers and, and what she does now and yeah I, I think I have a lot of respect for what she does because yeah, it's easy for this sport to be glorified for what I do to be glorified and to people think that you're, you know, largely successful. But at times, like, you know, I, I don't – it depends how you define success. Mm. And I think people always see what I've done and, and they're like, oh, that's hugely successful. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, I question that a little bit. I'm like, what do you define success off though? Yeah, trust me, from the outside it looks very successful. <laughs> However, as you mentioned, it doesn't come uh, without – 
regular hardships and for you some mm. really difficult times. Uh, 2015 in particular, tough one for you. You lost a beloved uncle, mm. which hit you pretty hard at the yep. time. And of course, while you're still processing that, your brother Owen, he'd recently bagged two perfect 10-point rides to win in Fiji. He had a horrific brain injury mm. while he was competing. Mm. That must have just been a blur that period of time. Yeah, like, you know, it's kind of weird. Like, I didn't really realise how traumatised I was from that period. But, you know, it just didn't stop for a while. And I think, you know, that's one of those things where I, at the time I wasn't seeing a psych, so I wasn't really processing it. I was just like, bottle it all up and keep going. And that's kind of like, I. that was when my uncle and my brother, you know, it was in within a month, four weeks of each other. Um, and then obviously with a traumatic brain injury, that just doesn't stop. That's mm. an ongoing process for a very long time. And, and I was probably about 20, 21 at the time. And then it's a really, again, challenging time when you don't have the emotional support network that you really needed at the time. So for me, I just bottle it all up and keep going mm. and wasn't sleeping, Was had you know multiple traumatic things going on in, at, at the time. And then also had this career where, you know, was going out and yeah the 2016 years obviously when I won my first title and it it's kind of one of those things where yeah that was incredible but I also used and navigated that my life outside of it was mm. a mess you know I was do you think it was because you could compartmentalize because that year after was mm. your most successful to date at yeah, that point yeah. it was yeah. <laughs> crazy good <laughs> yeah yeah it was crazy good and and that's I think now I question that like I know that there's a few people that knew what was actually going on in my personal life and how intense it was and and they were just like kid you're you're pushing it like you're you're pushing it to c come up with this stuff on the spot and I'm like mm. yeah like whatever like I got it like whatever um, it's the one area that I know what I'm doing, where I'm going and, and how to how to do it. So it became a really simplified process. Yeah, one of the most successful years of my career, um, probably one of the most intense as well, mm. um, just personally. But when I look back, I, I kind of go, that was successful in an in a outside way, but internally, you know, probably health and well-being wasn't a priority. You know, neglecting mm. my, you know, the fact that I wasn't sleeping and the fact that I wasn't looking after myself or at all processing any of what was going on because it wasn't just like one thing and then it stopped. It was like back to back to back. Mm. So, yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> uh, look at that time and, and, and speak quite openly and say, hey, like, always ask for help. And the next year, of course, when you say it all just kept going, you tore mm. your MCL mm. and... Mm. You know, the world watched you win another world championship uh, in... <laughs> Doing questionable things. Well, in layperson's <laughs> terms, most people, Terran MCL, they're sitting on the beach watching the event. Why isn't that you? Yeah. I don't know. I that's <laughs> I try not to encourage the psycho in me too much. <laughs> I know she's there. And that's, you know, it's one of those things as I get older, like I have to be really conscious of because, you know, we're an extreme sport. We run off adrenaline. We're in fight or flight, you know, it, it is quite intense and, and if anyone's had adrenaline, you know, it's addictive. It's quite addictive and, and then when you get to compete in that state, oh, it's fun. Everything's real simple and real quiet and real peaceful because there's only one thing. There's only one, like, and even I'm not even results-based. I'm performance-based. So when you're competing in, in that zone, your performance are generally, like, they're G'd up. Like, they're good to go. Like, and it is 
one of those things where it's kind of nice because things are quiet in your head. And like when you're in the water, you know, you're, and you need, and you've got this massive brace on and <laughs> you've got things everywhere in your personal life. And you just like, everything is fine. Everything's not on fire because I can just do this one thing. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. I don't know why I don't sit down on the beach. It definitely doesn't help me in the long run and it didn't help me in the long run and it's something that probably as I get older you know obviously but then you know a few weeks ago fractured an ankle and I'm walking on it and surfing on it two weeks later like it (laughs) I don't understand like sometimes my pain tolerance I don't stop at pain which I come unstuck with a lot so I don't like to glorify that and I think that's what I walked away with going what I did was stupid what I did was not taking care of myself. What I did, I do not recommend. It cost me a lot. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Well, Tyler, I was literally on top of the world after two world titles and she's sharing those memories with us today. And Tyler, it seems fitting that someone who experienced such a stratospheric success found a partner in Alex, the astronaut. Yes. <laughs> now, Alex formed such an important part of your life at an important time. Before she came along, did you even sense there was that gap in your life? The professional tour life, as you mentioned, can be quite lonely and isolated. Yeah, well, I think for me, I was quite occupied by it as mm. well. Um, even though it was, I was so used to being alone. Um, it never really bothered me. I like spent hanging out with myself. I think it's fun. Um, so and alone, not lonely, right? Yeah, yeah, alone and not lonely. And I, I think as well, like I'm, I'm quite introvertedly introvert. So I just have always liked to watch and observe and, 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 and kind of sit back and yeah, like I've just always been like that. And so when it came to my private life, I was always very private about it, although it didn't really exist too much because like a lot of it was, you know, I was in the public eye a lot. So when I met someone and, you know, I hadn't, really explored my sexuality in that way and I always kind of knew I had I'd say lesbian potential but (laughs) it was one of those things where I just if you try hard yes yeah exactly (laughs) it was one of those things where I was just like oh cannot I didn't want to deal with that and and a lot of that was because of the sport and the rhetoric that would that would go on within my sport that would that would be said and and you know I think people think like they look at it now and it's like oh it's it's been so well received. And I'm like, guys, come on. I got on at 16. I, you know, all the things were said to me about the generation that came before me and their sexuality, all, you know, it's a very, now I look back and very sexist, homophobic and racist environment for, to have young children in, mm. which I was at the time. And so it wasn't really something that I felt safe enough to engage with. You know, I think I thought a lot of it would jeopardize my career a lot of the rhetoric that I'd heard was all about, you know, keeping kids away from people of the LGBTQ plus community. It was that, you know, Stone Age and, and, and that kind of rhetoric. So when you internalise that and then, again, it's just an interesting environment to be raised mm. in, you know, mm. and I was raised in that. So, and it wasn't like I was in school and around everyone of my own age. I was around a pretty interesting and for me I found it toxic and now I understand why I was so angry at it all the time environment so yeah like it was my sexuality wasn't really something that I had wanted to explore or felt safe enough to explore 
so I, and I'm not surprised that when I did feel safe enough to do that, I was running the show. Mm. <laughs> I had two, two world titles. I went back to back, which hadn't been done in a long time. And, you know, I felt unstoppable. And I had a coach and I was running the game while changing it. I had, I was backed by two to three super senior people in the WSL, had good grounding in Rip Curl. So the fact that it happened, you know, essentially right after winning my second, I wasn't surprised because I was like, you dare come near me, you're done. And I had that kind of attitude and approach as well. So yeah, when I ended up in a relationship with a woman, I was like, you know, obviously internally so absolutely petrified and scared but externally was like nah like you know and obviously I you know taken my partner at the time to to contest and was like oh god this is this is not a great time this is not at all safe <laughs> so it was one of the uh I, you know jumping into the kind of deep end of it and like all right that's all right <laughs> yeah I'm often curious because not having been an elite athlete or someone that's been in the sort of public limelight like you have do you think it's unfair that that responsibility falls on people like you to make the next generation feel that it's safe it's I feel like we've come so far as human beings but so far to go yeah look I think it's I think if I was younger no I was young look 24 is still young I can't still young yeah I I still (laughs) I mean I'm still super young now like I'm still kind of coming to terms with it and 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 getting comfortable as well. And I actually don't know because I mm. think it's just fallen on, it's mm. just a part of my life. So it's not something I can really question and be like, oh, is this really fair for it to, to kind of fall on me? But at the same time, I'm like, it's literally just who I am anyway. So mm. I'm not really going to hide that. And I'm going to show up in that and, and what I what I know to be true and, and who I am. And, and so we do have a long way to go. And I think there's a lot in education and unlearning and and relearning I think there's so much to be said about that space and you know because I think there is no benefit in in kind of refusing to learn about this there is no benefit in for anyone uh, across the board and that's you know there's no benefit in it and so you know and I'm always for you know humanity Mm. (laughs) so (laughs) you know and and everyone being a wholehearted human and not just you know kind of single faceted you know Everyone on the tour is a wholehearted human. We we deal with, like, everything and anything. And I think mm. it's easy to, to get lost in that and because we do such cool things. But, you know, we still walk into a room and get anxiety. Well, I do anyway, so I don't know about anyone else. But, you know, I think that's kind of... I think everyone can do their part. I think everyone can be better. Mm. Um, I think we're still going to need people to, to go out and, and who would just live in their courage. And at the very basis of it, this is your happiness in question in your personal life and and should really have been perhaps a time of celebration for you finding someone special because that happened in your life at a crucial time for you health-wise, didn't it? If you cast your mind back to South Africa, what do you remember about it? I don't remember a lot. I was pretty – I remember I was was really sick. And, and yeah, that's right. Like, it's one of those things where public facing was super quiet on it, but private facing I was like – everyone meet this human being they're incredible like blah 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 and everyone's losing it because they're just like yes I think my younger brother high-fived high-fived me he's like hell yeah like obviously a few more explicit words than that but generally everyone's like 
six, so that yeah. I was, you know, found someone was super happy and and then, yeah, obviously four months later it it all came to a bit of a stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and that was just around I got sick and really you know, sick, really really sick, and I don't remember too much about it, but I remember a few people that had saw me at the time and they were like, yeah, you look like you're done die. Um, and then there was a few days where I think you thought you were going to die. And I remember that. I didn't remember those moments. And it was confusing because they're like, yeah, you just have this. And I just didn't have just that. It mm. was a multitude of things and which gave me serious health issues for about mm. two years. Well, it was eventually diagnosed, am I right in saying post-viral mm. syndrome? Yeah. Uh, that was the condition that uh, I think they gathered all those those symptoms yep. up into. How different, compared to the training and that load you do as an elite athlete, mm. how different is it to try and literally come back from the dead? Yeah, a bit hard. Um, <laughs> I don't, it's a bit hard. I, you know, don't recommend it. I wasn't super keen on it even. You know, I think I was in, you know, it's so physically broke me and then so mentally and psychologically broke me that you know there's days where I was just like I, I want to tap out this is I'm done like I'm in so much pain that um and I have no answers and no one's telling me when I'm gonna get better all they keep doing is telling me that I have more things wrong with me because of this virus and and it's telling me to rest and I'm like I've been resting you know what was it, a year and a half you know when you get to that point and you you live in the same day in the same pain um, and having no answers, the desperation is off the chart. So you'll literally look to anything. And for me at the time, it was like, all right, I'm done. Like I, And, you know, I think the good thing was is that I had a psych on at that point as well, and he was like, that's completely fair. And, you know, I had help-seeking behaviours, which I was pretty soaked about. Not that I ever had them. It was really hard for me to nurture them. But I think I just really acknowledged how close I was to not being here. And how much help I needed to stay on the planet because I couldn't do it alone. I was in too much pain. I was like, this is kind of getting a little bit gnarly for me now. Mm. Like, and I've always been the kind of like, oh, it's fine. Like, bit of a handler, bit of a like, you know, like, yeah, that happened, but don't worry about it. It's all good. Like, I'm, it's not an issue. Uh, well, this was an issue. Um, and <laughs> it was a major issue. And I, I don't think I really acknowledge that because when you're in survival mode, you're not really comprehending the severity and the impact and and taking stock of what's actually happening to mm. you psychologically and mentally and, and how much of you's left. You're just got the fight of your life on your hands going, if I survive the day, I know the night's worse. So like, you know, getting through every day and every night like that, it's, it's exhausting. And yeah, you get to points when you're just like, Whew, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, got so badly beaten and the life beaten out of me that yeah eventually you just don't get off the floor and you're like okay well that's me now (laughs) (laughs) and being an athlete doesn't help that like you're literally like I'm trained to literally go get beaten up and go all right have another go have another go (laughs) let's do that again let's do that again and it took me months and months to 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 kind of learn that stay on the floor don't get back up this is this is not something you can win the way you win a heat, the way you win being an athlete. It's not – you can approach it like being an athlete in the sense of how many doctors and, and, and finding answers and, and not stopping in, in that pursuit. But when it comes to just, you know, just get back up again. You'll be right. You'll be fine. Like uh, it's, it's an athlete mentality that I think, you know, actually caused me more harm. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands.
for the count, but she did come back. Tyler, November 2019, you're in Maui. I so desperately wanted to be normal again, you know. I so desperately wanted my life back. And I was told that this process was the next step in my recovery to to kind of exposing me to environments, to exposing me and integrating me back into my life. And it was a net step of the process. I think it was a really public step, one that I wasn't, you know, I was never ever going to be ready to go back into the limelight until you kind of, you know, it felt like we just, this is just is what it is. You know, obviously in neuro rehab, this is how I've kind of come out of it. Brett Jaros found me and he found a whole bunch of neurological dysfunction. Essentially my brain didn't work and, and had serious, serious issues. And so when we were in Maui, like very much a deer in headlights, very much, I had severe PTSD. When people saw me out in the ocean, they're like, oh my God, she's back. I'm sitting in the corner, just essentially shaking, going, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. So 12 o'clock midnight, the night before we first ran that day, I was up having a panic attack in the shower because my partner at the time had just brought something up and then all of a sudden, you know, I had no idea where I was. And it's this is a part of my life at the time. So, yeah, it was one of those things where I had to be really embraces of that as much as it, you know, it, it still felt, you know, you know, everything felt, you know, traumatising. So you started reading. I did start reading. Not that I... Sorry, not that you couldn't read. Yeah, no, not that I... No, it was one of those things I, I could only really read kids' books at the time. So I read, like, all of Harry Potter and, and stuff like that because I couldn't watch any movies unless it was Marvel because I was obsessed with Marvel and had watched all the Marvel movies before I got sick so I could watch them because I knew what was going to happen, but I literally couldn't handle any sort of threat. It was a really weird state to live in. So light, sound, conversations weather temperature, people, any sort of environment was always too much. You know, I think when I was sick, but also it was more in the last like year kind of coming out of that. And then we went into 2020 and COVID happened. I needed someone to help me get off the floor. Like, I think my life had just been obliterated into smithereens. Like, I think people expected me to, to come back as the athlete that I once was and the human that I once was. And and I felt in many, many ways that she no longer existed. And I felt when COVID happened, it was like, I was so tired from what had just happened to me. I was so exhausted. I was so over it. And so when it happened, I literally disappeared again. I was like, I am beyond, beyond broken. And, and, and just, you know, that's mentally, psychologically and physically. I was so underweight still. I was still like 18 kilos underweight. I was, I was angry at the tour. I was ang- not, and not the organisation, but I was angry at the culture. I was angry at the indignities that I've kind of largely just accepted along the way. And I was angry at the standard that was being set. I was just kind of like frustrated and, and really like, why am I coming back to this? Why am mm. I coming back to something that has been so bad for my mental health, mm. for my physical health, that's almost tried to kill me? And why am I putting myself in these environments again where it's literally like the stress on my body is so beyond what I could actually handle. And Mm. so it's one of those things where I was like, I don't know why I'm coming back. You know, I don't, at that time I was like, am I, am I kind of finally done? Like I could kind of smoke bomb now and no Mm. one would bat an eyelid. I'd already been gone for two years and it looked like we'd have another year off. And it was one of those things where I was like, okay, like, 
this could be, I could really disappear now and, mm. and kind of go and do and live a really quiet and simple life. One where I didn't have to travel, one where I didn't have to be an extreme athlete and, and mm. put my body through that. And then also just, I think on a humanity side of things, I was just so, so unimpressed with the standard that had been set in surfing. And I was so unimpressed by how we thought we're so progressive and that our ori origins are, you know, we come from counterculture, we come from lifestyle, a spiritual lifestyle that mm. we, you could say hippie or whatever. And, you know, we, we, we turned into professional, like we're a professional sport, but we're still stayed a political. Unless it came to the environment, then we're all like, yes, environment mm. warriors, which is all fine and sweet. But I was just unimpressed mm. by that too. And I think I'd spent so much time out and so much, I had lived in a completely different world. And that's the first yeah. time I'd ever been in a different world since I was probably like a child. And so when I started to like really take notice of my own interests and who I am and, and what my values were, I, I really then started to look for people who inspired me. And, and it was, you know, the Megan Rapinos and the Sue Birds and, but also the entire w, WNBA starting to learn about all these different incredible athletes and, and how they use their platform and how much they embraced who they were, their femininity, their sexuality, their gender. They own it. They, they, they just mm. own it. And that's what it looks like and that's what it feels like. And all while having space for both performance and humanity. And that co combination mm. is something that I never saw within my sport. I never saw myself in my sport. So it's really hard yeah. to kind of reflect something that you never saw. A really powerful statement, though, when you stayed on the beach with your fist raised for those mm. uh, 429 seconds. What was the reaction to that from within your own sport? You know, it's, it might have continued a lot of conversations um, that were happening. A few people that have reached out to me and go, I never thought, you know, would see it in surfing just because we do have that kind of complex of being progressive and surfing's mm. for everyone, but really it's not and it's very exclusive. And, yeah, I, I hope that it, it continues and encourages, you know, conversations around inclusivity, around equality and safety and and what that looks like and how that looks like and how that, you know, intersectionally looks like as well across gender, sexuality, race mm -hmm. and class. Um, and really, you know, I really believe surfing is for everyone. I think it's such an incredible uh, sport, but, you know, it's obviously been really dominated by cis hetero white guys I and mean, they're all about 60 <laughs> plus and you know like bless them but they make surfing you know we need to to evolve you know I I think yeah like I, I'm really aware that my sport's into in it's an international and global sport so you know when we're in America it's different there and when we're in Europe it's different there and when yeah. we're in Australia it's different here and so for me it was important because again I think Oz is quite good at going oh look at America, yeah. oh, we're so much better. But, you know, black deaths in custody, our incarceration rates, our juvenile justice rates for First Nations is absolutely horrific. Our foster care rates mm. as well, our Indigenous kids in foster care, it's, it's absolutely outrageous and, you know, it's not good enough. And, yeah, I think we, we, we do come from kind of a background of going, oh, like ignorance is a bit more blissful mm. and, and we're, we're kind of above that, we're above America, but... I really don't think we are and it's easy to yeah think that but it, it's not the case and yeah for me in, in Oz it was you know really trying to use my platform to, to be like no we're, we're not exempt and um, we need to do better uh, especially by First Nations always mm. and to really listen 
and learn and take a seat and yeah. Yep. What's ahead for you the next week, six months, longer term? I don't know what the future holds, but I am very happy to be able to live and, you know, and perform. Like I love performing. I love competing. It's a fun game. It's just a chess game to me. It's like moves and counter moves and performance is a whole different world. But yeah, as for the future, I don't, I don't quite know, but I know that another really cool thing, I think I remember when I was young, I felt like my career was always too big for me, way too big. You know, every, whatever unexpected of me was too much. And now I realise it was always, what they expected was always too small. Tyler, you're an extraordinary <laughs> human being. I'm in awe of what you've done in the last 27 years. I can't <laughs> wait to see what you do in the future. Thank you so much for being our trailblazer today. <laughs> Thank you so much and thanks for your time.